Well, howdy, folks, and welcome back to another episode of, I actually don't know what to call this, Meta Ideological Panel. Uh, we'll, we'll come up with something. But I'm here today with two of my good friends, uh, Layman Pascal, a man who needs no introduction, and yeah. my other friend, Stephanie Lepp. <laughs> who and... really needs an introduction. <laughs> 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 Stephanie is the executive producer at the Center for Humane Technology, and uh, Stephanie and I have riffed on these kind of topics before. And today we're going to talk about a controversial issue, um, which is the issue of Dave Chappelle and should he be canceled or not? And how do we make sense of all this crazy cultural stuff? And I am, uh, I'll also say I am sick today. Um, I'm not feeling at my best, but I don't need to because I have two wonderful, brilliant, insightful people here to talk with me and for me. So Welcome, both of you. I'm really excited to do this. And to, to start, let's just open it up with any thoughts, just like what, what was really, you know, what, what do you feel like is the most pressing theme here that, we, that came up for you and that we should dig into today? I watched this thing. Uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't find it as funny or as offensive as the previous one, which I really liked. Uh, I can see a lot of reasons why it could be problematic, but I think that's somehow in the foreground and even you know whether you're critiquing or defending dave Chappelle or comedy in general i feel like that's all happening within an arena that's been offered to you by a background system and that by taking a position within that arena you're kind of reinforcing the general system that's causing the very problems that are generating the distress to which you're pointing to so it's almost like having an opinion on this issue is the problem like we're far too engaged in believing that we understand what we're seeing and that we have to check our feelings and quickly form an opinion and then communicate that opinion. And all of that strikes me as the trap, a trap which is much more pernicious and dangerous overall than um, whatever you think someone's communication for or against might indicate. But that's my that's that's my real morally that's my emotional reaction concern is there's a big danger there and it's not about either of the sides it's about the frame that gives us those sides yeah layman i well before before i respond i just want to encourage you ryan to keep meta in your name because gotta gotta reclaim that word gotta gotta you know we're taking that's it a good back. one we're taking it back <laughs> we're not letting we're not letting it get taken away from us actually um yeah layman i i totally agree i think like the way we are responding to it is a manifestation of it and actually in more ways than we even i think realize because the the like as the you know let's say representative from the center for humane technology i mean just the very tools that we use to communicate about it are exacerbating it in and of itself it's like what clips even get sent around and shared with people to like further you know, tribalize us around what happened that then ends up kind of like proving whatever, like being a manifestation of precisely what Dave Chappelle is talking about. Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest thing I would just uh, ask or wonder about is just like, take a step back for a second. It's like, what is the goal of comedy? You know, like what, what, what are we even trying to do here? What is Dave Chappelle trying to do here? What is like the social purpose of this all? And like, to make us laugh right? To like make us laugh and have a good time and maybe hold up a mirror to ourselves in a way that like spoonful of sugar, spoonful of hum humor can help the medicine go down a little bit. And so, you know, is he achieving that goal? I think like, it just depends who you ask, you know, and like, who, who is it important to achieve the goal too? You know, hence like, hence the distinction, let's say between punching up and punching down, like he's definitely achieving it for some people. There were a lot of people there who seemed to really enjoy the show and he's really not achieving it for some people. But I mean, I, I guess kind of like ultimately at the end of the day, it's like, what is he trying to do? And if he's like offending a lot of people, he professes to not want to offend or like a whole kind of like group of people he's professing to not want to offend. Well, then like, that's a problem like whether he thinks that's warranted or not, or they're like being offended about it is warranted or not. The point is he's not achieving his goal or like some, something's up. So it's, it's, it's worth like, it's worth for, for him to examine that. I mean, more, more specifically, uh, well, actually maybe I'll just like leave it there for a second. And then yeah, I would problematize the idea of the goal because I think 
uh, as a person, he probably has multiple goals, one of which is to make people laugh. And I think comedy has a set of goals, one of which is to make people laugh. Right. There's it's not, you know, Andy Kaufman is classed among the comedians, but he didn't really make people laugh. Uh, so I think there, it has several other functions. Comedy has a philosophical function, has a kind of cultural engagement and provocation function. It also has a function to make people feel good and make them laugh. And we can get a little bit confused about these multiple functions. Uh, Dave Chappelle is a very, in my estimation, he's very intellectual about comedy. He's been doing it for a long time. He's seen it go down a lot of different ways. And the format of the special is, I mean, this got my attention. It's structured interestingly. First of all, I don't think I've seen a popular comedian do such an intersectionalist comedy, right? Almost all the jokes were about intersections between um, gendered, racial, sexual preferences, how they interact with and show up, you know, what is it like for a black lesbian compared to a white lesbian, all these kind of things. That's very intersectional. And also he was sort of meta-reflective about it in the sense that I thought he structured it on purpose to have an anti-punchline, which is you're building up, you're building up. And then the final thing is an incredibly depressing story about this person's death. Right, it's where you got a, a down, a pathos instead of a liftoff. So this was intersectionalist anti-comedy in a sense. So in terms of what he was doing, I don't think it's so simple that he wanted to make people laugh. He's also experimenting with the genre and what its other implications and functions might be. Yeah, I should probably, um, I don't profess to like know what his goal is, but I guess the, the, the point is more like, if he has a goal and he's not achieving it, that's something for him to wrestle with. And he can like quibble all he wants about like, well, you shouldn't be offended by blah, blah, blah. It's like, but if you're offending people, you really don't want to offend. Well, then take a look at that. Something to work out. That you know? gets to a much bigger issue that I think we should address, which is the complaint that people shouldn't be offended by something. And what is the significance of people making that complaint? <laughs> Are they failing to do something or are they succeeding at doing something when they make that particular complaint? Like you guys are wrong to be upset. What does that mean? <laughs> I think, I think there's a couple things that came to my mind <clears throat> seeing it. There's a left YouTuber named Vosh and he had an interesting take on this, right? He was saying that a lot of the trans jokes that Chappelle made were funny to him, but I also share this view with Vosh and I want to, I want to hear what you all think of this. It seemed to me that those jokes were not quite as nuanced or sophisticated or complex as his jokes on other subjects, right? So I think when it comes to race issues, and I watch all of his specials, right? He, I think he has, and I, I think this is what good comedians, they have this quality, right? Where they have a kind of perspic perspicacious wisdom that really penetrates into a deep cultural issue and it's funny. Right. And that's part of the reason what makes it funny is because it's so true. And it's something that we, it's kind of like a collective shadow that we haven't totally thought of or co captured consciously. And these guys are revealing it in a way that makes it funny. And I feel like when he talks about, let's say, race issues or like black white race relations in the US, it is coming from a very wise, kind of thoughtful place. I didn't feel like his trans jokes, some of them I thought were very kind of like basic, like they weren't. There was no, they didn't have those layers of creativity and insight that they had. And I think as people, one of our offense, something that makes us feel more offended is if we, we think of an individual in a certain way or hold them to a certain standard and their opinion on one issue or one set of issues lags behind what they say about other things, right? So the example is Donald Trump can get away with a lot of things because everything that he says is coherent with kind of where he's at and the kind of figure that we've made him out to be. But if Barack Obama said any one thing that Donald Trump said, grab him by the pussy, whatever, he would have been done, right? Because it's so incongruent with the rest of his opinions. I love, I'm so glad you're bringing this up, Brian. I, I totally agree. I think there's, um, and I've been like wanting to, I've well, I've been wanting to talk about this and haven't this. I've been thinking about this distinct. I don't know what else to call it other than like it's like cheap shots versus like I don't know. Should, I could just call it integral comedy or something. It's like cheap cheap shots as like a form of humor is like I think why Jon Stewart left comedy. It like wasn't funny anymore 
to be doing just like cheap shots about something as devastating or like like Donald Trump. It's just like it's not actually funny to just be doing like the same jokes about about something that's kind of actually devastating and not teaching us anything new about it. Whereas, and I don't have a good example of this for Chappelle. I mean, I love like I think that would actually be a really nice formulation for for people watching and listening is like an example of a cheap shot slash not that funny not insightful joke let's say versus like something insightful uh, yeah no Steph is saying I'll yeah I'll maybe just say one last thing I mean I get you I think you yeah I I think I honestly think that John Stewart left comedy I'm just gonna I do want to stay with Dave Chappelle but I think he partially left comedy because he didn't know how to make it funny anymore. And like, wasn't funny to do the cheap shots at like shitty things that are happening in the world anymore. And he came back and I was like, all right. And I, and he sadly, I don't know if you, you, you all have watched the problem with Jon Stewart is what it's called. And I should say, I haven't actually watched it. I've like only read about it, but I get the sense it's like, it's still cheap shots at like shitty things. So I think like I, I, integral comedy analysis. Oh yeah, then I think integral comedy analysis like would be helpful. Yeah. Something, go for it, Layman. Uh, first of all, I I found I found myself enjoying it. Maybe it's just because I missed John, but I think it's yeah. better than what the critics have been saying about it so far. Uh, but here, what I wanted to say was there's a really interesting distinction here between. Uh, what we might call pseudo comedy and what we might think of as the beginning level of a process of turning something into comedy. So pseudo comedy might consist of people who are not really even trying to do comedy. They're taking cheap shots. They're, uh, you know, they're doing some kind of, you know, it's like a conservative trying to bait the libs <laughs> and then make fun of them for taking the bait kind of thing where you're just going to reinforce a set of biases. And it's predictable. And it's predictable. It's and, completely it's predictable. It, and it doesn't really generate the, the physiological or spiritual effect we think of as being humor and li the liberating power of humor. However, there's something that looks a lot like that, which is when you're just starting out trying to find out how to make something funny and that thing is preying on your own personal reactions. So like if we do a very, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt and say Dave Chappelle is starting a journey of trying to be able to tell these jokes and they're clumsy because he's at the beginning, whereas his jokes on race are very polished because he's been doing them for decades. So maybe what we're seeing is him learning in real time trying to be a little more open, trying to be right. And he does announce himself as a self-identified transphobe as part of the routine of this comedy thing. So it's not like we're catching him out. He's saying, you know, I'm yeah. starting from a very basic place on this. This is the beginning of trying to figure it out comedically, but it's also a kind of request for a conversation, I think. I think if he said that, I mean, that would be a, put a totally different spin on it. If it's like, I actually want to learn how to do like, real like whatever how did you just pseudo comedy versus whatever I, I like if he said like I want to give you the spiritual experience of comedy about transgender and, and I'm like stumbling my way there well he did yeah. he did say that he was doing trans jokes for a long time though right because he was doing like well as a stand-up in Oakland where he met Daphne that was back in like what 2004 or something like a really long time ago but I think part of it too and, and this is you know, kind of my view on this from a, a kind of you know, standpoint epistemology perspective, right, is that if you're not part of an identity group, you don't share those experiences, you haven't metabolized them in the same way that other people have experienced those directly, right? I'm very confident talking about race issues, uh, specifically Asian American race issues. And that's not a coincidence, right, that I have thought about those issues more than I have thought about feminist issues or trans issues or whatever, because I don't share that identity category. And so because I haven't had those experiences, I haven't metabolized them as deeply. So I can't say as insightful or nuanced or wise things about those, those experiences or those groups. But the things that he's making jokes about, it, it's, is, is not like being the experience of a trans person. It's the experience of a non-trans person, right? Experiencing pronoun, like, like, Dave, they're after you, like one they or many they which is something that could still have the like integral comedic element to it. It doesn't need to be from the trans 
but and like yes of course also just like solidarity like if you're if you're also wanting to do it in service of um you know in service like of a more compassionate world like he the fact that he says he does he says like he's he wants to make peace he says he says he cares about people's suffering like multiple times like so he he like has he's he's you know he professes and i be, i believe like to have you know he's coming with this good faith um uh orientation and so so i don't i don't think it needs to be like in order for him to make jokes about the trans experience it can also just be in order to make jokes about like our social capacity to hold the trans experience um but perhaps in order for him to do that that also also require that also requires like more communing with that group of people right right yeah, I, I also thought that joke was really funny. The one day or many day? Yeah, I, I laughed really hard about that. <laughs> okay, I think the best one though was the glory hole. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Takes courage. <laughs> it's so great. It's just so I, I mean, spoonful of sugar, dude. Like to be able to like imitate Martin Luther King's voice. Wow. Like, talk about medicine, social like medicine for to be able to like. Like that I could, if you had told me that joke, I would be like, that's not funny. But to hear him and to like find myself laughing at it, that's really helpful to me. I found that helpful. The, uh, the they joke was replicated or done in a different way on the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where Larry David's trying to sell something to, I think he's at Hulu and there's a bunch of people advising on the couch. And he doesn't know whether to refer to them as, as male or female or they. And then this one woman has to say back to him that, no, I'm, I've always been straight. I'm only a they when I'm in the context of other people. But it's this whole, you know, funny kind mm. of Larry David cadences to it. But I, that, that kind of whatever that represents, more than one comedian is seeing structures around that right now where they can poke at the pronouns. So he, So I think in order to just kind of like bringing some of our threads together. I think in order for him to do, I'm just gonna call it integral comedy for lack of a, integral comedy about the trans issue. He, he instead of just like cheap shots or like, I think he actually does have to like go deeper into the issue itself. And because, mm -hmm. because and you can tell like, there are these little hints, like he, he says like, he says gender, he confuses gender and sex. Like when he, I think it's when he's talking about JK Rowling, it's like the people don't think gender is a fact or something. It's like, that's, a, it's actually sex. Like the fact that he got that wrong and that's such like a basic, um, or like there are, I, I'm just naming a few examples of like, it's clear he's not like fully in it in a way that would allow him to like really make good comedy about it. Like at the end, he ends, in this, he asks them, he like asks that like the trans community to please stop punching down on my people, I think is how it ends. But it's like, wait, he's just, he's like doing what he has just been asking them kind of like not to do, like a centralized as a group or like the whole idea of punching down. So it's like that ending kind of makes no sense unless it's just like a shitty joke. And like, isn't the point to make like, or I'll give one other example. He, um, his whole thing of like when he says like oh um but but he makes this kind of point that like oh but black people have been oppressed for longer you know like to the two black guys who are with the trans woman in the bar he's like do you two black dudes not have something to teach her about the you know because she's like my people have been oppressed for decades and he's like your people what about my people but like that it's like pe trans people are you know people of different gender or sexual orientations have been oppressed as long we just didn't call them that and they weren't enslaved but like are you doing like oppression olympics isn't that kind of like part of the problem like i feel like there's a little bit of just like he has to go deeper into it more and like understand it and get it in order to like truly be in solidarity with it and then make like even better comedy about it yeah, there's sort of two questions about like why this stands out as a thing, because there's lots of other far worse, far less interesting comedians who do all of these things uh, much worse than he does. So I think either we're looking at, you know, I describe this as being kind of a postmodern um, comedy event. 
because he's doing intersectionality and he's doing an anti-punchline. So it could be that we're looking at two aspects of postmodernism confronting each other as a cultural flashpoint, like the part that's represented by the trans issue and the part that's represented by meta comedy. Uh, on the other hand, we might be looking at a guy who we like, and because we like and we know he's smart, we would like to see him find the pathway into a higher form of comedy. And then the optimistic reading of that is that yes. what he did is the beginning of that pathway, because you have to start by surfacing some more raw authenticity about your own experience. And then you have to join that with some more raw, uh, authentic experience from the other and put that together. So that's where I would hope he's like to be continued at the end. Totally, <laughs> totally. Think. Yeah, I, I, that's really well said, Landon, because I think we do consciously or subconsciously set the bar higher for him, given that he is a comedic genius and a very intelligent and wise guy on many subjects. But as Steph, as you were saying, right, like his, his understanding of trans issues and the kind of philosophy and ideology behind it is simply not up to par with those other things. And that incongruence we can kind of feel and we have a bit of a visceral reaction to that, right? So there's and room I for him to grow yeah. and become funnier and yes. be like less offensive because the, the jokes above. are coming from a higher level of sophistication. Totally. And I love, I love that you framed it as like seeing the limits. It's like, we're seeing the limits of the pseudo comedy or seeing the limits of the like cheap shot comedy, you know? And I, and I love the, 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 like, yeah, we should hold him to a higher standard because in a way it's like, he has some work to do for us. Like with power comes responsibility with, with fame as a comedian comes the, let's just say the responsibility to grow in public and like bring humor about trans issues to a more evolved place. And can we make enough room for you to do that? And when we like deplatform you and cancel you and blah, 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 we're like kind of not making that much room for you to do that. When like, what I want to do is like, be like, you know, you got the sex versus gender thing wrong. The way you ended it was kind of weird and like counterproductive and like, don't do oppression Olympics, but like, keep going with the glory hole. I don't know, whatever. It's like, but yeah, but like, let's make room for you to, to, because you know what would be really helpful if we were all laughing about pronouns, all of us, or like at least many, many more of us, that would be helpful. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to bring up, go back to the issue of the punching down thing. Cause I think, I think like you were saying, right, Steph, like I, when he ended it with that joke, it kind of fell flat for me. I thought he was going to end it when he was saying, I met your father and he was a woman or something something right like i thought he was going to end it there and kind of mic drop it then he kind of looped back and then ended with the stop punching down and and i was a little uh i was a little confused like i didn't get the joke like i didn't understand why i other than kind of like as a i got you back kind of a move i didn't totally understand the joke but i think there's there's several things to think about right like why is it like how do we think about the power dynamics between groups such that it would warrant our moral impulses to kick in about like a yikes that someone's punching punching down right like I, i'd be interested to put the the notion of punching down our collective reactions to it under the microscope a little bit yeah i think there's there's two things uh one is what what makes it punching down or not punching down in a right. given instance and another one is what what's the total field of variations uh, that are available because I think it's possible that what Chappelle's doing here is, you know, as a community, he's smelling an opportunity. There's there is an interesting concept there, which is, no matter where you are, you always have some privilege, right? There's no groups who just have all the privilege, and some other groups that have no privilege. There's there needs to be an interprivilege discussion that validates everybody as having some suffering and some kinds of privilege. And then we can exchange those without putting anybody off bounds in some way. So the idea of problematizing what privilege is and looking for ways in which the underprivileged might have certain privileges in some areas, but doing that in a way that, I mean, the risk is that you are then just repeating the exploitation of that group from a position of greater privilege. So it feels a little bit flat because he's doing that, but I think there's an opportunity going forward to find a kind of comedy that uh, problematizes and makes obvious that the notion of privilege is much more diverse than we think it is, that all kinds of things can come into play as privileges in various contexts. And so the meaning of punching up or punching down changes relative to the context in which the individuals and groups are occupying space. Uh, so I, I wanted to presence that, but uh, the question of, 
uh, yeah and then i kind of want to punt to steph on the other part because i haven't formulated my thoughts yeah yet. <laughs> i mean i'll well the first thing i just feel like i want want to just take a step back and say i haven't done a very good job of like explaining the jokes that i've been referring to here so you might want to like tell people to watch it <laughs> before listening to this or like insert some explanations but um and 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 i i also just want to take a step back and say when i said it would be helpful if we were all laughing at pronouns i didn't mean like laugh at them because they're something it's more like if we could all be laughing if more of us could be laughing together about things that we struggle with pronouns included, you know, um, I don't mean to say that they're like in inherently worth laughing at or something. Um, on the on the punching up of punching down, I mean, I think that 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 goes back to the goal. And I think that Dave Chappelle in particular, his goal is not I, I don't I don't think his goal is only to make people laugh. I think per the kinds of issues he chooses, his goal is to make people laugh in service of something bigger, right, which is why he calls himself a, a feminist. Like, He's interested in something. He's interested in what 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 might we call it? Like greater social understandings, like greater compassion, greater empathy for people who you know are, are different from us. Like it's it's laughing in service of, and so like the punching up versus down kind of exists within that context. It's, I mean, I, I yes, there is there's kind of a two beats to this. It's like what how do we define up versus down and does it depend where you are who you are um but then there's also like under what circumstances punch up punch down or and like yeah it, it, it i guess it's yeah in, in service of of what like what is what is dave Chappelle trying to do and does does punching up or punching down like serve that or not or or just calling it out how does calling it out how does even just like identifying that as a frame serve that um, i'm not answering any of these questions right now the notion uh, of punching up and punching down is a good shorthand sometimes and it brings in these sociological dimensions right so there's a big part of my heart that wants to side with side with that aphorism <laughs> because we obviously are embedded in all kinds of problematic systems where people give themselves the right to attack the people who are already suffering from the system and reinforce the problematic structure that we're all embedded in. But also it's it can be a little bit clumsy because it's a little bit too sociological in terms of analyzing comedy because I think it's more about the the smoothness or the grace or the sophistication of what you bring into it. Like uh, sometimes your kids do things that are funny and you can you can join in with that humor in a way which is not necessarily punching down. Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't matter that they're smaller and less capable. Sometimes it's funny that they've made errors or done weird things or triggered your own awareness of inconsistencies. So I think the whole metaphor of punching to describe things like comedy is a bit misleading because it's kind of mistakes comedy for an aggressive action. Right? And that reinforces yeah. it reinforces the difficulty of distinguishing comedy from pseudo comedy. Yeah, comedy really shouldn't be punching. It's a it's a way of of joining in a humorous critique. I, I think you can make a, a matrix punching, punching up, punching down and then tough love up, tough love <laughs> down. Under what circumstances like deep reckonings is tough love up. Yeah, people keep kept thinking it was punching up. And they like totally misinterpreted it because they didn't like watch the videos. But that's like that's tough love. Um, so I, I that and then I think I think both I think we can both like use it and problematize it at the same time. Like it can be this like clumsy thing that can be helpful sometimes to just to to ask oneself. Let's say as a comedian, like who am I making jokes about and what and what is that doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we can also recognize is it kind of like reifies or whatever the, the kind of like oppression Olympics of like, like there being kind of like a pecking order of like where people are on the scale or something, which there is. And it's, it's, it's messier than that. Yeah, I think, I think the thing that's interesting to me, and this goes back to what we were talking about, what you were saying, Layman, before we started recording, right? Um, 
part of the argument is not only are people subjectively offended by what someone said, I think uh, the other critique of punching down is that if a certain group is in a more vulnerable position for whatever reason, and 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 that's largely due to the majority of the populace having some kind of negative perception of them, then launching more of these narratives via you know kind of crude jokes into the zeitgeist gives everyone else's kind of feeds everyone else's negative perception of a certain group, right? So it's not so much that the group itself is offended; it's that everyone else who has a kind of a regressive view is getting reinforced. So I think that. To me, as you were saying, what I'm really curious about is not stopping that from happening because that's not going to stop from happening. The question is, how do you provide a counter narrative or a counter view that balances that out, right? So we can still enjoy funny, you know, hard hitting critiques of certain cultural dynamics or even of certain groups, but at the same time, militating against that from turning into a genuinely oppressive view, right? So how do we, as you were saying, right, Layman, like one of the metaphors is like, you know, in the house, there's going to be dangerous things where kids can burn themselves or electrocute themselves or whatever, but that's why we have oven mitts, right? We have oven mitts at the same time. And I think part of making, part of having a joke come from a more sophisticated, more nuanced place is that it, it self-inoculates against that tendency, right? So I can make a joke about a certain vulnerable group, but if it's from a place of enough philosophical sophistication, that militates against people who have genuinely bigoted views from actually believing at that level. Does it make sense? Yeah, I think so. And there's uh, one of the reasons there's a social discussion around this stuff is because there's two ends to that process, right? Do you, uh, when, when do you install the oven mitt, <laughs> right? Whose responsibility is it? Is the responsibility of the person who's outputting information or is it the responsibility of a person who's receiving information? And both of these play a role in the uh, degraded information ecology we have in which I would argue we massively overestimate the significance of symbolic and verbal communication, right? Such to the point where we treat someone saying something as punching, where we think of jokes as essentially an attack, where we say things like, Jordan Peterson destroys reporter. You mean, oh, he said a sentence? She wasn't <laughs> destroyed. That's just a sentence, right? So like we're, we're massively exaggerating the, the, the visceral power of symbolic communication because uh, a, that serves people who are making money off visceral symbolic communication, right? It serves the interests of the power structures and the technology structures in which we're embedded for us to pretend that cultural content digitally mediated is equivalent to warfare of some kind. And we're, we're failing to do the thing that the ancient sages were always trying to teach everyone to do, which is to have some kind of flexible, mindful distance between yourself and the incoming content of uh, not only symbols and words from other people, but your own thinking and your own reactions. So, and that ancient wisdom has two parts, right? On the one hand, you have to try to be more empathic and compassionate and skillful in the way you output things. You can install the oven mitt there, right. but you also have to have your own oven mitt when you're receiving things, which is, I don't necessarily have to have an immediate reaction. I don't necessarily have to trust my feeling about how dangerous or not dangerous this content is because it's whatever else it is, it also is just content. And mm -hmm. there's somebody out there who wants me to believe it's very serious and I have to be on a side and either defend this or attack it because it might spread, right? It might mutate and contaminate other people and reinforce some positive or negative thing. And Oh my God, the stakes are so huge and the stakes are huge on every single incoming signal. Aye, and that's aye, how aye. you're hooked, right? So we have to be like, the stakes are not that big. It's not as important as we think. And that's one side of the same issue as the person outputting the information, doing it in a sort of smoother, more nuanced way. But to me, that's, that's a really hard one to control. We've never had a lot of success as a society trying to control the output of or access to information. What we need to do is really think about how we cultivate a culture in which people can hear things in a way that's not too dangerous in a way that they can assimilate it, make sensible choices, not be totally hooked into the machinery. Because 
it's not like the only players are the trans community and Dave Chappelle. Mm. There's the entire structure of Netflix. There's the entire structure of digital media. There's the entire structure of the economy, which is way bigger than Dave Chappelle and way bigger than the trans community and is lurking there, not getting discussed when we think, well, how did the recipients of information feel about that information that got sent out to them? So like there's a, there's a huge monster around the edges that we have to take more seriously. Yeah, which is why media literacy for the post-truth era requires self-awareness. And I guess I would add, and requires awareness of the broader political and economic context in which we are even like experiencing media at all. You know, I want to go back for a second to the object level where at, at, in your opening statement, Lehman, you had said you can see how certain jokes or certain things he said were, were or could be problematic. Can you give an example? Um, well, I don't have all the jokes on file in my memory right now, but I'm just thinking about the general phenomenon that, um, you know, somebody has the right to free speech in the form of comedy, right? And of course, <laughs> you also have the same free speech to criticize that comedy. But that when a person's doing something and their experience is not informed about the same degrees of exclusion, harassment, and violence that some other group has undergone, then you really, you really need to increase, you need to amplify their ability to use that same free speech back to you. Because there's a real genuine concern about people's security and well-being as human beings. I don't know if this is addressing it exactly, but the idea is like, what's, what's the danger? What's the danger of someone like Dave Chappelle saying things like this? The danger is it's, it is like, it's not dangerous to be unsympathetic. It's fine to be unsympathetic. People don't have to understand you. People don't have to care about you. That's fine. But when there's actual dangers befalling a group of people, then that needs to be factored into some degree collectively. And that is very often overlooked. And the people who overlook it very often shield themselves with some kind of screening concept. Like it's just comedy or it's whatever. It's just a caricature. It's just a joke. There could be any number of different ways to do that. So the communities that have been uh, attacked and those attacks are still ongoing. Uh, you know, we, we legitimately need to pay extra attention to them in some fashion. But... Um, that can't be our sole concern because there is some kind of cultural sabotage going on in the very fact that people think they understood a joke or that they think they heard an attack or that they are identified with a group at all. All of these things are very suspicious and we need to dig into them much more powerfully. I've got all these tangents coming up and I, I don't want to necessarily go into them if Steph has something important to say, but they are bubbling up in my mind. Should I go for it? Sure. I mean, I have things related, but yeah, no, go for it. Okay. I'm thinking of two things. One is sort of the, the possible destiny of the trans community. And the other one is the way that subtle conservatism plays into some distinction making here, because uh, I know people who are a little bit like what Dave Chappelle presents in this special, which is they, they, they feel very comfortable with and even very socially proactive and revolutionary on behalf of sexual preference on behalf of race on behalf of gender and it feels like those are all issues they can get behind and when it comes to the trans community they're a little bit unsure it looks like it meets the same kind of criteria but they don't necessarily get the same feeling and it's interesting to think about whether there is anything different about trans relative to these other issues because they're often lumped in together and you could make the argument that there is a kind of conservative difference there, which is you have a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of types of people who have inherited their body type and their body type is male or female, or they've inherited a sexual preference, or they've inherited a racial characteristic. But these are all what you've been given by evolution and history and God and your inheritance and society should accommodate whatever you've inherited. It's a little bit different to say, you know what? the structure that I've inherited might be the problem. I may need to change this based on who I am. And that's very distinct in some ways from all of these other issues. So it might be that Chappelle's showing us here that there is a distinction between the trans issue and all of these other identification issues, because all of those other ones are ways of society more deeply accommodating whatever you've been born as. 
And this is a way of society being tasked with allowing you to modify what you've been born as to accommodate some other set of feelings and identities that you have. So that's an intriguing difference to me. And another aspect of this is um, like what the positive, you know, what is the most aspirational possible future for the trans community? And I don't think people think about this very much. I don't think the community itself does that thinking very much. They tend to be on the defensive or struggling to attain some kind of normal recognition and affirmation in the society. And I think people who are either attacking it or probing it, whether they be comedians or anyone else, haven't really thought about it. Like what is what could they do for us? It's well, actually, I've been. Yeah. Where are you? Can I jump? I've actually been thinking yeah, about that recently I, as gonna, a result I'm, of this. Yeah. I just, I just have one thought about that that came from watching the special, which is, I think, what the trans. I mean, this isn't like necessarily what. Well, whatever. This is this is a little just kernel. I've just been thinking of what a miracle for human consciousness mm -hmm. transgenderism is, like if like we're working it out but like as we learn to get on board with the idea that there is a difference between sex and gender and that someone can change the, their gender over the course of their lives like what a miracle to human consciousness that is right like to have taken something we thought was so fixed like what a miracle it is to our sense of humans like thinking of not in terms of human beings, but human becomings and like what that will do for our capacity to give each other the space to change and grow and evolve. So I think, I think trans is like a miracle waiting to happen to us as we, as we let it. I love that you said miracle because the, I mean, there is an ancient history to this, right? Which is that, um, sometimes people like this were treated as sacred in various societies, right? That there were temples in their honor, mm. that they were privileged. And the gods, as we imagine them anciently, the gods are bisexual. The gods totally. are protean. The gods yeah. are ambiguous and uncanny. So there's a sense in which uh, this is a community that could really be a sacred vanguard for the species, at least in one of the aspects of the species' manifestation. But then the question becomes, what would they need in order to be that, right? They need a certain confidence and security that they currently don't feel they have. Yeah. But how do they get that? And do they get that by nobody saying things that upsets them? Or do they get that by disembedding from their current identity options and thinking about it differently? Do they have to give themselves a confidence regardless of what anyone's saying? Or do we have to go out of our way to create a safe space where that confidence can flourish in? The I mean, I, I, I also love that as like a mission statement for uh, Dave Chappelle. It's like, it's like make comedy that, that like helps us on our way there. Right. Build, where is the trans cult that Joe Rogan would join? Right. Like, where can we make one that's that's robust enough and beautiful enough and dynamic enough uh, to really be a vanguard for every intelligent, sensitive person looking at the future of the species? And how much what do we need to be able to provide these people with in order for them to be able to serve that role for us? Right. And, and, and of course, you know, the, the million other perspectives within the trans community that, you know, the, the diversity of views. Um, for example, I was leading a workshop the other day, and the one trans person in my workshop apparently complained that there was a distinction between sex and gender. Right? I've never, I've never, I'm not familiar with that philosophical line of critique that there shouldn't be a distinction between sex and gender. But um, I thought that was that was interesting. But just to to finish a couple of thoughts, right? What you were saying, two things, Lynn, right? I think it's interesting to think about the distinction between trans issues and trans advocacy versus other groups advocacy, right? Where other groups are searching for acceptance of immutable characteristics, whereas the trans community is searching for acceptance from transforming immutable or, or you know, default kind of characteristics, right? So it's actually um, that kind of anti-essentialist uh, idea becomes really prominent there. Um, but I think when it comes to like what the end goal is, I, I mean, I, I'm of course very involved in conversations with like racial justice and stuff. And I don't think any group really thinks about that enough. And even when, and when the issue is broached, people often disagree about it, right? So for example, when it comes to race, there's a debate about like, what is the end goal of racial advocacy? Is it colorblindness, 
right? I was talking to Brent Cooper about this, and his answer was colorblindness without historical ignorance. Um, other people would say, no, it's I want to be acknowledged for the particular challenges or obstacles that my group faces. Uh, and that, 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 that may not necessarily mean seeing color explicitly, but seeing the systems and structures that create distinctions in race, right? So is that colorblindness or is that more of a systemic understanding of how color is created? So it's like everyone has a different opinion on this. Um, yeah, and each so of those things I'm needs to be broken into like subcategories, right? So like what, you know, it's not just should we be blind or not blind? It's like maybe which parts of us should be blind, right? We oh, would oh, like oh. the legal system to not take your race into consideration. And maybe it would be nice if people's emotions didn't take your race or sexual orientation or gender or something into right, that basic mm. human friendliness and trustworthiness and compassion didn't take that into consideration but that doesn't mean the intellect shouldn't analyze those patterns and take it into consideration it doesn't mean that you're the part of you that relates to your own uniquely instantiated ancestral identity you know that your differences yeah. shouldn't be spiritually accommodated somehow. So different aspects of ourselves might need to do those things differently. Just like when it comes to what is your, you know, signifier, right? And whether we want to say sex and gender are different or whether we want to say they're the same, there's a tendency to think about that in a very narrow sense rather than a pluralistic sense. It, you know, how difficult yeah. would it be just to have a driver's license that says, here's how I want to be socially identified. Here's the genitalia that I have. And here's what my chromosomes are, right? And those are applicable to different circumstances. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm. I mean, you know, Ryan knows that this is it's it's all of the above. Or Ryan, you you wrote about it in terms of diaphanous. It's like we don't actually have to choose. We don't have to choose whether to whether to like have color blindness and not believe in race at all or to like use race under certain circumstances when it's helpful and useful affirmative act what blah 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 reparations it's like we don't have to choose we can just hold all of them and use the different ways of understanding these things as they are helpful to us as they help us get to wherever we need to go that's what's so great we don't actually need to like make some kind of absolute decision <laughs> yeah, in so, some ways, the minimal degree of a postmodern culture is to think of identity as a cluster, as a plural cluster that is appropriate to particular environmental or contextual realities. Yeah, great. Sounds great. And thank you all for holding the different pieces of it. And now we can all just like bring them together into the mandala <laughs> and, and move forward. Great. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great place to end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any, anyone have any, any closing thoughts to, to wrap it up? I'll say too, just going back to the Dave Chappelle, I mean, it was something we didn't really get into, um, but I'll, may, I'll just kind of leave it on the table is um, the question of like, does it matter who says the joke and does it matter oh. who's laughing at the joke? I mean, I think it does. I think it, well, I think it depends on your goal. It goes back to like, what are you trying to do here? Um, but um, but yeah, just this idea that like something is in some absolute sense offensive or not offensive. It's like offensive to who? That's the question. Yeah, and so. where I would go with that is in addition to that question of offensive to who, there's a question about um, do we need to evaluate that or take a position on that at all? Or is doing any of that part of a larger problematic circumstance because I think a lot of us you know in the old days you have to used to go into the town to get the gossip or go down the driveway to get the newspaper but right now all the information is in your home in your pockets coming right at you and we feel like because something exists means we're being forced to be exposed to it and we have to take a position of some kind and in this new landscape that feeling that because it exists you have to take a position on it, that you have to be engaged somehow. I think that's a very disempowering yeah. response to the current media and technological landscape. And it parasitizes very old human tendencies to simply believe what we're seeing and take a position. And that whole structure in ourselves and in the society is the greater danger here. And the thing we, it, that's where our moral upset should be focused. And these other questions about, 
you know, comedy or certain communities, these are secondary to the, to the shark in the room. <laughs> well, along with the shark in the room, I guess the, 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 just where I'll put the pin in that is like, to the extent that David Chappelle is interested in having some kind of like social impact, then it behooves him to understand who he's influencing and how, who he is impacting and how is just the one. one. And then the, la the last thing I'll say is just like, this is kind of in the spirit of um, Layman, like you were saying, like visioning about what a community wants or what, what they, in the future, there's, a, there's an element to which um, uh, it's like, we're all kind of acting as if like change isn't possible or something. We're like acting as if we're just gonna like keep duking it out or something. And, I don't, it's just like, what, if, what, what, what might happen if we were acting as if we were waging peace here or, or something like on our way there, like how might we approach, you know, if David Chappelle was your son, as opposed to like, so, you know, how would you teach him? Like, how might we act? How might we engage in public discourse about Dave Chappelle's Netflix special? If we were acting as if, you know, we were on our way to this miraculous place of, you know, let's say transgenders holding this like special role in our human, in our public consciousness. What if, you know, if Dave Chappelle was my son, it's possible <laughs> he might say to me this, it worked out great that just like Donald Trump, me and the people at Netflix understand that if you say things that are polarizing and provocative, your sales and your eyeballs and your clicks go way up. So this was a dad, this was a complete success. Right. My goal was to make money off people. <laughs> and the way you do that is by offering them something where they have to have divergent feelings about it. And those feelings that feel very serious and pertinent to their security and identity. And that's what nobody can resist because the human brain is gullible on that stuff. And there's no educational institution that's really helping anybody cease to be hackable to that. And I would add that there's an argument that time is short and that we may have some huge crises we need to face. And every second we spend having a moral or emotional reaction to an element of the culture war is a moment we don't spend facing the actual crises that are going to doom or save everybody in very short order. That sounds like a good place to end. Yeah, we should talk about that <laughs> next time. We should have a next conversation about that. All right, folks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Thank good you. to see you both.